0: Welcome to the Organizing Ideas podcast. My name is Karen and I'm an archives and library student and this podcast project takes a look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. I'm recording today on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Coast Salish peoples. Today, I want to talk about the Rare Books and Manuscripts conference that happened in Baltimore in June 2019. I got a scholarship to go, but um, unfortunately, it was not a great time, and I ended up writing a letter to the conference organizers, which I'll read in this episode, and it will be available in the transcript as well. Some of the highlights, though, of the trip included meeting and getting to know some great people, so I've included some of their thoughts on the conference in this episode as well. So RBMS stands for the Rare Books and Manuscripts section of the Association of College and Research Libraries, which is a division of the American Library Association. Um, I generally find these associations to be kind of like weird clubs for professional adults, and uh, this one, RBMS, is for people who work in special collections. I first uh, got into Rare Books and Special Collections because Uh, surprise, I love books, I'm especially drawn to special collections because I think that these are spaces where people, especially from underrepresented or marginalized communities can potentially find a sense of belonging and home or at least recognition that they exist in institutions or they exist in like documentary form. And I also really love the joy and excitement that people have when they interact with something old or something beautiful. Um, And I, I want to challenge the idea that rare books and special collections only means medieval manuscripts or antiquarian books because there's so much more beautiful and interesting stuff out there. I think that this definition can really And I think it is in many places as well, like brought into what's special to particular or specific communities. So I was really excited to get to attend an RBMS conference. This was my first like big grown up person conference outside of the city where I had to like travel to get there. And the theme for 2019 was response and responsibility, special collections and climate change. And I'm really sad that I didn't have a great time at the conference. I don't know very much about climate change in relation to Special Collections, so I was really hoping to learn a lot. And I did meet some amazing people that I hope I'll get to see again, and I'm really excited about all the work that they're doing. And there were a couple of talks and posters that I thought were really excellent, but there were also um, a handful of talks, panel discussions, and experiences at the conference that were... um, uncomfortable um but i i do see a lot of value in special collections in this field and so um i wrote a letter and um yeah i'll I'll read it here To the RBMS 2019 conference organizers to the Diversity Committee, my name is Karen Ng, I'm a master's student in Library Archival and Information Studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. The campus and my home occupies the unceded traditional and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I was a first-time attendee and scholarship recipient at the RBMS conference in Baltimore, The generosity that was extended to me so that I could attend the conference is not lost on me and I am grateful for and appreciative of the opportunity. I am Cantonese-Canadian and part of the Hong Kong diaspora. I acknowledge the scholarship committee's efforts in diversifying the ethnic and racial makeup of the attendees at RBMS. However, the fact remains that RBMS was an overwhelmingly white space and to witness such a lack of representation as a student and as a young person is disheartening, although unsurprising. I have completed the conference evaluation and survey and I have submitted my post-conference essay to the scholarships committee. In my essay I wrote that the conference was a space where whiteness was always centered and cultural memory seen as objects to be extracted from their communities for the education and use of white colonizers. I am writing to you now in an effort to explain how I see this as a failure of RBMS's commitment to diversity and inclusion, and in hopes that my disappointment, despair, and anger can be productive in some way for the future. I also write this with the knowledge that I was told explicitly to be careful of what I say because I am a student and new to the field, that because I am not established in my career, I must be mindful of the people with whom I share my opinions. I understand this however given what i and others have experienced in baltimore the message that this sends is that rbms is not as welcoming or inclusive as it claims to be the first panel that i attended was titled more than the weather indigeneity race and the local collection in the age of climate change according to the description the panelists were supposed to talk about the displacement of materials from their originating communities often due to mass digitization and 19th and 20th century collecting efforts. As a gesture to the conference theme this year on climate change, the session was supposed to focus on the impacts of natural disasters, especially on place-based collections and knowledge. Name redacted, from the National Park Service, a Black man was scheduled to present but was unfortunately unable to make it. His replacement, Name Redacted, also from the National Park Service, presented on the effects of natural disasters on archives and special collections, and on his work in disaster and emergency response. Name Redacted, the second speaker, spoke on literature, ecological impact, and disaster tourism. Finally, Name Redacted spoke on digital responses to climate change and endangered knowledge. Her explanations and descriptions of digital platforms and projects, including Mukatu, UmbraSearch, DocNow, and UCLA Library's Documenting Global Voices project, were introductory and vague. The weakness of her talk, as she herself admitted, was that she was speaking on projects that she was not working on. The session focused on physical repositories, poetry, and digital platforms and tools, while issues of indigeneity and race were mentioned almost exclusively in the program description. When asked to comment on the optics of an all white panel speaking on race and indigeneity, Name Redacted responded that the session was, quote, supposed to have a black speaker, end quote. This language and attitude tokenizes, Name Redacted, and reinforces the idea that whiteness is the standard and the norm, and that the bodies of black, indigenous, and people of color are accessories in the system. I had also asked the panelists what RBMS can do to bring in more, or any, BIPOC voices, and I ask this again now. How can we enact inclusion without tokenization, and how can we dismantle the barriers that prevent diverse voices from feeling safe and welcome in these places in the first place? Someone from the audience, an older white man, told me that if I wanted more inclusion and diversity, I should submit a proposal for a paper, and that I should take on a more active role in panel sessions. While I agree with the sentiment of the suggestion, I must re-emphasize that I was a first-time attendee at the conference, and I was there to learn about our responsibilities as cultural heritage and memory workers towards climate change. The onus of, quote-unquote, diversity work should not fall only to BIPOC. I also ask those involved in organizing RBMS, what if Black, Indigenous, and people of color do not want to participate because these spaces are perceived as unwelcoming? Name Redacted responded to me saying, quote, In my line of work, in disaster response, there is no ethnicity, end quote. However, I recalled that Name Redacted had mentioned in her talk that natural disasters impact some communities, in particular communities of color, more than others. While I understand where Name Redacted is coming from, that climate change is not racist, our society unfortunately is, And to claim that there is no ethnicity is to erase the experiences that result from certain identities. I believe that this could have developed into a productive conversation regarding response and responsibility towards climate change, especially with issues of race and indigeneity, but unfortunately the speakers did not elaborate further and we ran out of time. When we are unable to even acknowledge the absence of indigenous, black, and people of color on a panel of speakers, And even the incredibly small presence of BIPOC in the audience, with indigeneity and race in the session title, I wonder how committed RBMS really is to diversity and inclusion. Why are we trying to have these conversations? Who participates in them and who benefits? The night before my flights from Vancouver to Baltimore, I checked the conference program online and noticed the pop-up session, Asian materials and special collections, or what to do with books that you can't read. It was apparent during the presentations that the speakers all had good intentions. The speakers made genuine efforts to engage with Asian materials, and I believe that they truly thought they were making the best decisions. However, despite all of this, the language that was used was insensitive and inconsiderate. Nowhere else in the entire conference did I feel as alone, exoticized, and and othered as I did during that session. What to do with books that you can't read. If I'm learning anything while I'm in library school, it's the idea of, I don't know the answer, but I can find out for you, or I'm not an expert, but I can refer you to someone who is. I wondered, as I did during the Q&A, why can't we hire someone who knows an Asian language and knows the people who are using these materials? And maybe can we not hire or work with someone in our institutions who knows the community from which these materials originated? My mother had also said to me, but there are many languages that people in North America can't read. Why Asian materials in particular? Do they mean all of Asia? It's a very big place. The session focused on East Asian materials. However, the title reads only Asian. If we mean East Asian, we must specify so because conflating Asian and East Asian undermines and misrepresents the diversity of Asia. It perpetuates the erasures of many Asian people's identities, including Southeast and South Asia. The title alone speaks directly to an implied audience, one with little to no familiarity with Asian materials and languages, and one that is most likely not of Asian descent. Before the talks had even started, the title of the session assumes who will and will not be in the audience. Who is you in the title? From the beginning, the session indicated a glaring lack of thought, care, and inclusivity. The first speaker, redacted, introduced himself as an East Asianist, which sounds um, a little bit like a modern substitute for Orientalist. He explained that because he grew up in a rural, white part of America, he was never interested in Western civilization. In explaining how he uses Japanese and Chinese texts in his instruction at UCLA, he positioned Asia and Asian materials as an alternative medieval, enforcing the idea that the European Middle Ages is the true default medieval and that other histories are optional or a peripheral afterthought. Furthermore, he added that he was, quote, one of those weirdos who wanted to write about the East, end quote. While I can understand that his intent behind this was to frame himself as someone who cares for and appreciates Asian culture with self-deprecating humor, this kind of language further perpetuates the East as obscure, foreign, and far removed, and that an interest in the East is unusual or weird. Name redacted from the University of Virginia was the final speaker, and she organized her presentation around ignorance as a motif. For example, ignorance is dangerous, ignorance is opportunity, ignorance is bliss, etc. I appreciated how she broke down the effects of ignorance in librarianship. However, what was jarring to me was how much she made it about herself. I acknowledge her efforts in taking action to educate herself so that she has some skill in managing UVA's new collection of Asian materials with respect. What I find disrespectful was how she explained that the new collection filled her with fear and how she was so terrified of offending people. When asked if she felt the same fear towards Latin books, she asserted that she does in fact feel scared and said again that she was afraid of offending people and that perhaps that in itself was offensive. However, I would argue that the same rhetoric of fear and terror is not used with Latin or other non-English languages as it is for Asian languages. A large portion of Name Redacted's talk was devoted to her experience in taking Name Redacted's class, The History of the Book in China, at the Rare Book School, in which she remarked that she learned, quote, weird and obscure things about Chinese books, end quote. Moreover, she neglected to address the privilege and the fortune that comes with being able to attend such a class. It takes white historians, scholars, and librarians to bring Asian books out of the obscurity that Name Redacted and and rejected described to a packed room. It takes a white man teaching a class about Chinese book history for white librarians to feel comfortable and less afraid of working with Asian materials, not, apparently, working with staff or communities who might have language and cultural knowledge. A line in the program description stood out to me in particular. Quote, Finally, we will see how the diverse cosmopolitan communities within and around libraries allow us new opportunities to decolonize our collections by making them reflect their constituencies." Quote. Decolonization means a very specific thing. It's not as Eve Tuck and K. Wayne Yang have written a metaphor, just as inclusion is not an abstract concept. Incorporating Asian materials, however they make their way into Western and colonial structures, does not decolonize anything, but instead enacts further colonial violence. These are not quote-unquote new opportunities, just as more diverse bodies in white supremacist and colonial spaces do not necessarily dismantle oppressive systems or address the barriers that prevent or discourage equity, diversity, and inclusion in the first place. This June, I set off on a series of trips that were generously funded by scholarships. I started off the month with the Community Archives and Digital Cultural Memory class at the Rare Book School in Philadelphia, made possible by an NEHGBHI scholarship. Bethany Nowiski, one of RBMS's plenary speakers, facilitated the course and opened the class with the following prompt. Quote, Tell us about a time you felt truly welcomed into a community. Or alternately, about a time you felt like you absolutely belonged somewhere or were fully represented, quote. I did not expect to find this community at RBMS, and it is not the job of RBMS to make everyone feel fully represented. But I want to remind us of a prompt that was introduced in the pop-up session titled Enabling Inclusive Online Spaces, led by Curtis Small, Melissa Hubbard, and Sarah Werner. What are our responsibilities to our colleagues? Next year, the theme for the RBMS conference will be power, leadership, and resistance. As speakers and panelists, conference organizers, and as members on the diversity committee, I recognize that you occupy positions of power and I see you as leaders of this field. I look carefully and attentively to such figures and to my mentors as role models and as examples of how this profession should be. some closing thoughts that I have now that it's been a few months since I wrote that letter I think beyond diversity equity and inclusion we really need to think and act on anti-racism and say what we mean when we say that we want to dismantle white supremacy we talk about it in my classes um, in my graduate program um, and often we do try to brainstorm like what are actual steps that we can take instead of just talking about it like theoretically or conceptually because Violence obviously has like real life impacts. Um, and in a previous episode, I think it was number seven, with Evie Trong, she really emphasized how libraries are institutions of power and special collections, especially. Um, how do we take responsibility for this power? Uh, so, anyway, I learned a lot at this conference, even though it wasn't what I expected. Um, And I'm going to share some thoughts from three people um, who also went to the conference in Baltimore. So the following um, statement is from Ayola White, who sent in a written statement, and I'll read it here. RBMS was a pretty standard conference to me. It wasn't the best, and it wasn't the worst. When I reflect on the conference, what I remember most is honestly how much fun I had in Baltimore, which is where the conference was held this year. That being said, I did find the plenaries rewarding. However, I will say that what frustrated me most about fellow attendees was how many of them said, welcome to the profession, upon meeting me. To give context, at the time of the conference, I had just started my first full-time library job a week prior, but this was not my first LIS job, period. I've worked in libraries and archives since 2015. I've conducted research, I've written articles, I was even interviewed in American libraries. I am a young professional, and I admittedly have a young face. At least once a week, a patient will ask me if I'm in college. But I am not that new. I don't expect people to have already known my background, of course. I just wish that they had asked more questions before they pigeonholed me this way. I know that people who have said this to me were trying to be inviting, but it just made me feel like they saw me as some fledgling with no experience whatsoever. One of the undergraduates uh, who I met at the conference was Aramis Sanchez, and we both went to the pop-up session called Enabling Inclusive Online Spaces. I didn't stay for the entire session, so here's what Aramis had to say about the panel, uh, which I will read here. RBMS as a profession suffers from being undiverse. You have a lot of older white ladies who saw the profession dominated by older white men, and as such, see diversity as white women replacing the white men. This is seen as a major shakeup and movement forward. However, it clearly isn't actually diverse while it felt to me that RBMS leadership seemed fairly committed to advancing diversity within the profession, the actual base just wasn't there. For example, in the Inclusive Online Spaces event, the real issue is that the mostly white crowd didn't think of POC when the word inclusive online spaces came up, but rather about how they could themselves work into online spaces. While I feel the moderator failed to moderate properly, I also feel that even if it had been moderated properly, we would have had seen a similar dynamic. RBMS issues seem to be a reflection of larger issues in the profession. Additionally, many professional archives rare books people refuse to take criticisms from those who aren't professionals in the field. This creates an echo chamber that makes it really hard for people from outside to make actual changes. The following clip is from Marielle Stockton, a student employee in the Western Washington University Library.
1: The most fun I had during the RBMS conference, and the most fascinating time I had, was definitely the Booksellers Showcase. Every year RBMS is joined by the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America, ABAA. And Those sellers about 40 to 50 of them come into the main ballroom and set up tables And it's like a bazaar They set up their wares all the books and the rare pieces that they've come to sell and then they kind of heckle you Like used car salesmen. It's a very very good time, but with the most niche knowledge that you never expect uh, For instance, I met a guy and talked was talked at by him uh, for a very long time about Soviet-era comics. That's the only thing he was selling. Um, Another guy had a huge collection of silver screen and golden age theater memorabilia. And then I saw a letter from Elizabeth Cady Stanton priced at $100,000. Yeah, needless to say, I did not buy anything. (laughs) Um, It wasn't until I was going around the room with my mentor, though, that I realized how much politics is involved in the rare book world, just exactly how institutions like libraries, archives, and museums get these rare pieces. It turns out different institutions often have long-standing relationships with certain sellers, and those sellers are always on the lookout for acquisitions those institutions might like to buy for their collections. I spoke to a bookseller and he told me that before the conference members are even allowed to go in, the sellers browse and visit and do business amongst themselves. The ABAA is a really intimate community. Everyone knows who's been in the game a long time, who's new, who's inheriting the business from their father. They build relationships with each other and do each other favors, and they definitely keep score. It was a little bit like the rare book Mafia. Completely fascinating.
0: In closing, I want to thank Curtis Small, who offered the option for me to write this additional piece to RBMS on top of the essay that we had to write. Um, To friends who held space for me, who let me call them on the phone while I was in Baltimore, and those who looked over my writing. Nick Smendy, Aola White, Nadia Clifton, Chido Muchemwa, Mariel Stockton, Aramis Sanchez, Sony Prosper, Aldrich Linton, Sandra Delaney, Brian Senior, Allison Jones, and Victoria Gomez. Thank you. I'm really lucky to have supportive mentors and supervisors at RBSC at UBC, where I'm a student and student employee, and the team there have been constant role models to me, and I thought of them often when I was away from home. We can be found on Twitter at OrganizingPod, that is organizing with a Z and not an S. And our email is OrganizingIdeasPod at gmail.com. And our website is OrganizingIdeasPod.wordpress.com. Bye-bye.